Romans 2, 12 through 29. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew, and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So did you enjoy that passage? Did you enjoy reading that passage every day? A little bit satiricous maybe, a little bit uh, overwhelming at times. Did you wonder, did Paul have some kind of issue with circumcision? He talks about this in other books as well, and, uh, and talks about it here a lot. And you're kind of wondering, what was he really on about all the way through here? Or did it make crystal clear sense the very first time you read it? I know for some of you, are like, absolutely, made sense entirely. Well, listen, Paul ends this passage with a little play on the words that I really don't think that we pick up when we read the English. When we read the English here, it just says, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the spirit, not by the letter, his praise is not from men, but from God. And in English, you read this, and you don't actually pick up the kind of little magic that he's actually put inside it. So I'm just going to throw this in here, right at the beginning, a little bit of technic reference here so you can enjoy this. And if you don't know the difference between Duplo and technic, then look up boulder.church forward slash Bible. The Jews have their original name from Judah, all right? And uh, you can 
work out how that actually turns out in the language and so on. But Judah, if you look up the name Judah and you look at the stories of where Judah comes from and his origins of his name in Genesis 29:35 and Genesis 49 verse 8, it basically Judah means praise. Judah means praise, which means Jews mean praise in that way. So what they're saying here, Paul says this, and in the original language he's saying this, you look for praise in your name and you look for praise in the things that you do as men in humanity. But really, you should look for praise from God. That's what he's saying. Not from man, but from God. And I want you to remember this, because all the time, we're looking for praise from humanity instead of from God. That's what this passage is about. You've put all your eggs in your basket in the wrong place, and I need you to focus on this. And this is what breaks his heart. This is why Paul says, it's time to have a come-to-Jesus conversation. Welcome to being judged. Isn't that good? It's a great feeling, isn't it? I know you're thinking to yourself, I, I thought I was coming to church to enjoy a great service here. I thought I was coming to enjoy a great moment here. But you're looking for love in the wrong place. You've been hanging your assurance of faith on the wrong peg. And you've been swimming up the wrong current. So welcome to being judged this morning. I know that's not what you wanted really, but no one really enjoys that conversation. How many of you enjoy the conversation, the come to Jesus conversation, when somebody says to you, I need to have a come to Jesus conversation with you? How many enjoy that? How many enjoy giving the come to Jesus conversation to people or the riot act to your children? Yes, I enjoy that a lot uh, to my children. That's good. But when people come and give me that conversation, I don't enjoy that too much. There is never really a perfect time to receive that conversation. So with Paul, there's never really a perfect time either. And the last time we received this conversation, you never kind of feel to yourself, oh man, that was, that was great. And yet at the same time, you know that it was good, but you don't say, can I have another one of these? You don't say, I need to put in my calendar uh, another come to Jesus conversation. In fact, I'd like to have one once a week. That would be really good. It's not like a massage where you feel afterwards so fantastic. No, no, no. It's like one of those where you're feeling like, ah, ah, I just, I don't know if I really should do that more often. In fact, if I could work out a way not to have these conversations, it would be good. So, if God loves us so much, and last week, remember, when we heard the message at the beginning as this letter was continuing here, God loves us equally. God tells us not to judge each other. Why are we making this judgment call? Brother Paul, Brother Paul, what is the deal here? Well, the deal here is that we're part of a really large picture, and we're part of a big sermon series called The Judged. Does it sound good, The Judged? That's what we're on. Now, in honor of Apple, Apple computers just uh, had their worldwide development uh, release this week, uh, and they have come out with a Memoji, uh, which is gonna be released this year, uh, sometime later this year, and the Memoji looks basically like this, and they're very excited about this, they're gonna release this, and if you don't know what this means, just uh, bear with me for the next 45 minutes. <sighs> Memoji basically is like a little character that's gonna become really animated on your phone, and basically you'll be able to um, animate them, and they'll be like you, but only better. Right, so I thought I would take you on the emotional and intellectual roller coaster through the Judges series so that you understand the context of this particular passage because when I share with you what we're really going to hear about, and you may have already picked it up when you did the Daily Walk, you may have picked it up when you read the passage, that circumcision is really code for some difficult come-to-Jesus conversations in your own life, right? 
So I thought I would use my own Bitmoji. This is a, a little bit more standard. Uh, and so last week, uh, we heard the sermon, uh, you're an idiot, right? This is what you had last week. You're an idiot, and basically this, Jesus says this in the message through Paul, Jesus is fair, he treats us equally, and let's do the same to each other. That's what Paul was saying through the text. This week, though, he says this, we're being judged. And just in case you forget anything I say, this is all you need to remember. You're going to have a come-to-Jesus conversation, real talk, all right? And I need you to give your insecurities to Jesus. You're going to remember this? Give your insecurities to Jesus. If you forget everything else, this is what you have to remember today. Give your insecurities to Jesus. Next week, we're going to deal with the questions. Because obviously Paul says, hey, you don't need to belong to anything. You don't need to belong to a church. And then next week he says, actually, you need to belong to a church. And you're like, are you schizophrenic? I don't understand, Paul, what's going on? So you're going to have lots of questions about this. Why belong to a tribe? Why be Adventist? Why be a member? And for those of you who are members, you're going to think to yourself, yes, what does that mean? And for those of you who are partners, you're going to think to yourself, why should I bother? So we're going to try and address those questions, yes or no, next week. Fourth week... Fourth week, the message is called None. And Pastor Jessica will be preaching on this, that we all need Jesus, simply no exceptions, and she's going to explain why no other faith, no other religion cuts it. She's going to be really offensive. It's going to be really interesting to see. Then, final week, Elijah is going to get up here, and he's going to preach on this message, The Guilty Go Free. And it's going to be a very happy day, because he's going to unpack propitiation. Um... I don't think he realizes that, but he actually has to unpack that. He has to show how Jesus makes all things right. So the next four weeks, as we continue through this book of Romans in this series called Judge, we're going to have to go through this bitmoji experience inside here, right? Well, here's the thing. When we were designing these bitmojis, I designed Becky's bitmoji, and Becky designed my bitmoji. Uh, I had Becky design my one, and, and this is what she kind of started off with, right? We'll go to this next picture. I thought it was pretty good. Right? I think that's uh, pretty reasonable. I never stand like that. I never stand with a cape either. I just I want to say that uh, I was pretty happy. Except for this. Um, as we're going through the process, you come to the final stage, and you have to choose a body type. And, and the issue is for me that as you choose a body type, um, I, I was kind of disappointed because as you choose the body type, uh, she chose this body type on the far right which is the very last body type available in the entire planet. Um, and I was like, I think it should really be this body type, like one body type over, and she chose this body type on the far right. And I thought to myself, but, but it doesn't make sense. Meanwhile, Joshua came into the room to see what was going on, why she was laughing on the floor. And, and so then I explained to him how his mother, you know, his mother, had chosen this body type, to which then he started to laugh on the floor and was rolling all over the floor, and they're both laughing, and I, and I just, you know, it's just mortified. And I tried to explain to them, listen, this is offensive to all the people that are larger than me. I mean, when they go and choose a Bitmoji, what, what are they gonna pick? There's no options for them. They will feel inferior, and they need a body type larger. So I need to be this one over here. And, and they said, who's bigger than you? <laughs> And, I, and I, said, I said, let me explain. So I, I said, I will give you a long list. I wrote this list down. I said, let me give you a long list of all the people that are larger than me. And I started off, I said, sumo wrestlers, 
sumo wrestlers. And you know, and then I mentioned sumo wrestlers in America and sumo wrestlers in England, sumo wrestlers in Japan. You know, sumo wrestlers, they're bigger than me. And so, yeah, the truth is that uh, we, we agreed that I would edit it, and I ended up with that one over there on the left. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. When I was a child, uh, that would have devastated me. That would have, like, crushed my soul. A conversation like that would have just paralyzed me, right? Today, man, deep down, and they know this, I was, like, laughing inside my head because I was thinking, this is going to be a great sermon illustration. <laughs> And I was just thinking, actually, it's really funny, because I kind of, I don't know if you do this, but I kind of take myself out of conversations often, not because I'm not engaged. <laughs> that sounds really weird. But I take myself out of conversations, and I kind of watch myself in conversations. That does sound really weird. I should not have shared that. Um, and I do, because I just kind of like the way the whole conversation's going, and I'm kind of, like, intrigued by it, and I like to watch how I'm reacting to it, how people are reacting to it, and, and I'm kind of enjoying the entire thing inside it. But when I was a child that would have killed me. I wouldn't know how to react to it. It would have affected how I connected with others. It affected how I connected with God, and it was deeply painful. Today, I process those, those insecurities entirely different. And you know the way I do that? It's called deniability. Well, no, no, I mean, what I really meant was accountability. I don't know how that one came up. It was so close because they both end with ability. And I just sometimes mix those two up. But deniability and accountability, I think, are those two words that we kind of mix up all the time. I think sometimes we want to put something into the deniability area, which is what Paul is talking about in this text, where he says to the Jews, look, you have been receiving this incredible, glorious message, and you have just denied all that God has given to you, instead of taking the accountability and sharing all that God has given to you. And he says this, you have allowed one to be stronger than the other. When I was seven years old, my friends at school would get a packed lunch, and they would go to the hall with myself, and we would eat lunch. They would get their backpacks out, and they would open up a little Tupperware container, and they would open this Tupperware container, and inside would be a little cling film sandwich wrapped up with a, a slice of, very thin slice of cheese and, and some butter, and, uh, and then they would eat that, and they'd have a little carton of juice with a straw that never worked. I don't know why they made those straws, just break. And then they'd have a, a packet of crisps, which you would call chips, which is really weird because chips would be cooked, but they would be a packet of crisps. And, and then they'd have a, a Kit Kat or a, a wagon wheel. That would be the treat, right? But, and, and that was really great. But my lunchbox, man, my lunchbox required a forklift truck. It required a crane. It would be brought in, hard hats, people would, and they're coming in, and the forklift truck would come in, and the truck would come in, and an oak box would be dropped in the middle of the hall, and this box would be opened up, and the bread would have been baked overnight from wheat that had been grown overnight in England through the harvest of elves. 16 eggs had been mixed together with wheat and flour and milk and made into this glorious omelet, full fat milk, none of this 0% fat stuff. And then it would mix with salt and pepper and place inside this bread with about this much butter. Place inside a sandwich that required you to actually open your mouth to be able to bite the sandwich. And then I have a quart of soya milk dessert and an entire gallon of freshly squeezed orange juice from the oranges that had arrived from Spain by delivery overnight as they squeezed them all night long to create this gallon of orange juice. 
to get the impression that maybe I was eating enough to feed an army every lunchtime. Here's the thing, my friends looked at me and some were very jealous, but most of them spent time in therapy trying to understand why their parents were starving them and why their parents were trying to say to them, I care about your blood pressure. <laughs> One day you will thank me that your blood pressure is in control and you'll understand this one day. The dinner ladies would come to me and say, Chaffet, you don't, you don't need to eat all of that, right? Eh, you could share it with the other 500 kids and there'd still be 12 baskets left over. I felt like it was maybe a biblical moment, but I ignored it. <laughs> they were trying through accountability to have a hard conversation with me, but my insecurities about being fat just helped me to deny the reality, and so I kept on eating through the problem. This text in Romans is not easy. This is Paul saying that he is fat. Listen to this, this is Paul saying this. He says, I, Paul, I'm fat. I fed my entire life by my own hand. I've taken the good food that God's given me. I've abused it to excess and my family, and I've done the same. So Paul turns around and says to them, you've done the same, and now you call yourself an athlete? Now you say that you can run the boulder boulder? Seriously, this is unbelievable. What a disgrace you are. Welcome to being judged. Do you like the cuddly bears? Kind of psychotic, isn't it? You're like, I, I kind of feel like the cuddly bears and the animals should be really happy, but then I see welcome being judged. I don't know how to react to this. Should I be happy? Should I be sad? I don't know. Are you with me, though? This is important. Paul says this. He's having this come-to-Jesus conversation with the Jews because somebody already had a come-to-Jesus conversation with him. All right? So when Paul writes this letter, he writes it out of his own heart. He writes it out of himself saying, I was there before. I already know what it's like to, to live through all my insecurities, to live an entire world where I put God in this place, where I control God, and now I found God. I want you to do the same. So I'm telling you this out of through, I've been through this journey, and I really want you to be able to do this. The problem with accountability is that we prefer deniability because of our insecurities. So when you read this text in Romans 2, 12, 29, I need you to understand that even though it goes round and around and around, Paul is packing so much inside here because all he wants you to do is, is he wants you to remember, it affects you personally. So here's an exercise you can do. You can take the text back home, try this yourselves. Replace the word Jew with global, local, or personal. Just try this exercise. I had a few people, they actually worked this out themselves in the middle of the week from Australia and other places. They wrote to us in Daily Walk and said, hey, I just put my church name inside here and it meant so much more. I put my name inside here, it meant so much more. I'm like, this is a great idea. Just put global, local, personal. So when I do this, I put global, I put Seventh-day Adventist. It means something entirely different. When I put local, it means Boulder Church here. And when I put personal, I put Japheth de Oliveira, which is how you pronounce my name just in case Damien couldn't remember that last week. I am gonna to talk to him about that again. Right, <laughs> but it's true. And if you put your stuff inside there, you'll suddenly start to understand the text speaks to you differently. Some people are very comfortable to read this text and say, oh, those Jews. Or to talk about the Seventh-day Adventist church or, or Boulder church. But when you place your name in there and suddenly realize that God is speaking to you as well, it means something entirely different here. 
We have all these insecurities. I mean, the Jews did this. They created 600 extra rules, plus extra rules, just to keep the 10. Why do insecure people do this? Lots of things that they do this, and lots of reasons why they're insecure, but here are the three that I want to address today. Insecure people will deny, insecure people will hurt others, and insecure people will often boast. Insecure people will deny, insecure people will hurt others, and insecure people often boast. So I'm going to rem remind you of this. I'm going to go through this kind of stuff. And you can, you can apply global church, you can apply your local church, and you can apply yourself inside here. But let's just focus on how this applies to us today when we live our community. Insecure people will deny. Romans 2, 12 to 15, the very first few verses here. Paul tells us this, that everyone sinned. And I know that this is difficult, so I, I just want you to get off your high and mighty horse. I know some of you do the daily walk every single day, and, and you listen to the daily podcast, and you come to church every single week, even though it's like 500 degrees, and you actually come to church, and you pay your tithe, and your offering, and you volunteer, and you give everything. He says, ah, oh, I know you think you've got it all together, but here's the thing. That's not what God is talking about here. There's something deeper inside here. And I know some of you are thinking to yourself, not everybody sinned. Surely there's some people who haven't sinned, but don't worry. Paul's going to address this sometime later on in Romans. We're going to address this. So just bear with us. We'll get through there. Paul just skips through here because he just says, I want to address something more important right now. What denying allows us to do, however, is to look down on others. When you deny and you admit that you have this insecurity, you can look down on others. And we forget that God is talking all the time, Paul says this, to your conscience. He's talking all the time. He says, I tell you what's right and what's wrong. And you know what's right and what's wrong. People are constantly like, I just don't know if I should do this or that. I'm like, you know, you know better. Look, we pay hundreds and hundreds and thousands of dollars to go see specialists, counselors, and therapists all the time to get problems resolved in our relationships, in our, in our understanding of ourselves. And guaranteed, and they're very good at this, they will eventually help you understand that you knew the answer all the time. Right? The problem is that you don't want to admit that you know the answer. Because if you admit that you know the answer, you'd have to deal with it. You'd have to do something with it. So you'd rather just pay them every month and just kind of deny it a little bit longer. But the Holy Spirit is talking to you all the time. Jesus talked about this with Nicodemus where he said to him, look, the Spirit comes and he, he just appears and he has this influence on you. You don't even know where the source of the wind is that's just pushing all around you, but you know that it transforms you. If we do, if we do, if we do this, and this verse, by the way, I've been waiting for five weeks to be able to bring this verse to you. I mentioned it in the very first sermon. Romans chapter 2, verse 16. If we do this, we'll eventually get to this point because then the wrath of God will be displayed. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ, Christ Jesus. Because this is what God says. If you let me lead, I will show you that I look at your insides, your heart. I know what's going on. I'll let you lead. I know what's going on. And I will make... The judgment call. And believe me, my judgment call, the gospel, is through Jesus Christ who knows what you're really thinking. So you may think that you're hiding this by pretending to be somebody else, but God knows your heart. So why live a life of deniability? Why pretend? Why don't we just embrace who we are? Instead of listening, we push against this. I think it'd be much better if we actually lived a better way this way. Number two, insecure people hurt other people. And this is not intentional, friends, but they do. They really do. 
Romans 2, 17, 24 describes how the Jews were not practicing what they preached. You ever met a Christian that does that? That they don't practice what they preach? They're just like, they're one person over here, another person over here. This is not very attractive, by the way. I'm planning to set up a new membership criteria at Boulder Church that if you don't practice what you preach, we just will we'll actually not let you into the building. And so next week, there will be nobody here, including myself. Uh, we will just have an empty building, and it'll just be so cool. <laughs> I mean, literally, the temperature will be down, because be, nobody will be inside the building. This is us. We all struggle with this. Now, the question is, why do we do this? Because we have insecurities about who we are, and we don't admit these. And if we admit these insecurities, we'd start to face these insecurities, we'd start to face the things that we're hiding about ourselves, we'd actually be better people because God would actually transform them. Because God is constantly saying, I know why you're behaving that way, I know why you're criticizing that way, I know why you're doing this. I, you look, you want love, but you do not love. You want friends, but you don't, you're not a friend yourself. You want honesty, but you lie all the time. You are cold and sterile, you're guarded and isolated. I want you to create something else. We cannot be the kind of church unless we actually are that kind of church. People are like, I want to go to the church that's really friendly. Well, we'll be friendly. But I just want them to be friendly. Well, how about, how about you smile? My goodness, maybe, maybe you shouldn't smile. Go see Russell and then smile. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I wasn't. Go see Russell. No, the thing is this, that I think that people need to understand that we actually make the church, Right? And you make and you design the culture of the church. So if you feel the church is unfriendly, maybe you're the one who's making it unfriendly. Just be the person and create the culture that you want it to be. And God is saying, man, I chose you as people. I chose you as people. I gave you this glorious message. And you have embarrassed me with this kind of stuff. You're making it embarrassing. So don't do this job. Be what I called you to be. Number three, insecure people often boast. This is the essence of actually chapter two. And in fact, actually, it's a thread that actually is woven all the way through. The insatiable appetite of insecure people is this, that they have to brag about how amazing they are. And as a result, how amazing you're not. <laughs> all right? This is what insecure people do. They just want to knock you down all the time. And so then what you do is you become defensive all the time where you're just like constantly like you have to up yourself up all the time. And it's constantly like this competition which is really disgusting. So when you start to realize who God has called you to be, you walk with a different level of confidence. You can even wear clothes that don't match to some people. And then to other people like myself, they do. And you kind of think to yourself, I kind of rock it. It's okay. You may think it doesn't match, but every week from now on, this is what I'm going to wear. I know. I know. I know. I said to Becky this morning, hey, what did you think of this? She's like, oh, yeah. I was like, well, do you know fashion? No. No, no, no. Go back to bed. It's only like middle of the night anyway. It's fine. <laughs> Your eyes are not really open. You haven't really seen the dazzling beauty. <laughs> The difficulty is this, that insecure people are really negative people. I mean, they're just negative people all the time, and they say this all the time. They're just hurtful with this. This Wednesday, we're going to go to Stacy and Matt's home. This segue, by the way, does not mean that they're negative people. I just realized as I said that, that could have come out wrong. They're watching right now. I know this because I was texting me. Uh, they're not negative people. But 
We're going to Matt Stacey's home because uh, all the producers are going to be meeting there to discuss worship, which is what they do. They discuss to, to discuss worship and to be very uh, critical of what things are going on inside worship, what's going good and what's going bad. But here's the difference. They're not a negative bunch of people. When they sit down, these producers, they sit down and I said bunch, but you know, they're not really bananas or anything like that. That's a really weird phrase to describe the producers. That's a really awkward phrase. But here's the thing. When the producers get together, they discuss the worship and they have so many suggestions, but the suggestions are always about how to make worship better. And if this is not going well, they want to be able to fix this. This is very different to people who just get together and just whine and complain and have negative things that are malicious and, and just are, are negative all the time. And believe me, I meet these people all the time. I just think that they have no social life at all. But you know the truth is, is that they have deep insecurities in their life. They're insecure about who they are because they have not yet discovered who God is. When they discover who God is, they will see that they are a child of God. And when they see that they're a child of God, they'll understand the responsibility that they have. They'll see the law differently. They'll see grace differently. They'll see the beauty differently. And they will live differently. The problem is that insecure people create cultures in church. So there are three types of churches that tend to be created by insecure people. Legalistic churches are created. Uh, legalistic churches are created by insecure people who just harp on about doctrines all the time. They're worried about these things called liberals all the time. They post about liberals, they have meetings about liberals, they meet in dungeons about liberals. They just have God really tied up in a little box in fact, they've actually got the tip of the circumcised foreskin in a little frozen box because they're hoping to surgically put it back on. I mean, they're just like, they're just kind of in there. They're so worried that God hates them, that God's like Thor with the lightning and he's just going to zap them or fire or something. So they're very, very depressed people, legalist churches. Charismatic churches, oh my goodness, insecure people are in therapy all the time. If they don't want you, they want you to join a small group all the time. Man, they cannot stop talking about small groups. And they want you to pour every secret. Even if you don't have a secret, they want you to make up a secret. They want you to tell every single emotion that you have. They look at the Bible. They never study the Bible. What they want is they want you to hold the Bible and just like caress it. It's like a fluffy pillow to them. What they want you to do is just have an emotional experience all the time. Just be weeping, weeping, weeping. This is what a charismatic church wants you to do. They have flowers in their hair all the time. They put wigs on to put the flower in their hair. This is how difficult it is. Their worship songs are always in A minor suspended. It's just painful, all right? Sacerdotal churches, these are insecure people because all it is about rituals and traditions for them. It's about the architecture. Look at the arches in our church. Look at the stained glass windows. Look at the way that the church just looks and smells. And the way that we all come forward, all four of us, as we four of us sit in the middle of the church sanctuary together, all four of us, because us all who come to church, four of us, but we are all here together because we love the way that we belong because the liturgy is just so perfect inside because the good old days will hold us together. Never change anything. The four of us will hold it. And they have a level of OCD that really does need some kind of therapy because they banish children to another country. Did you see that child move? <gasps> it was out of order. This is what they do. All of these three have insecurities. Legalistic, charismatic, and sacerdotal. I'm not saying, I'm not saying 
that they're not good qualities in all of these areas. I'm just saying that these are the cultures that are created when the church becomes this way because they're insecure people. When we are insecure, we don't understand what God has called us to be. And Paul says this, you have the gospel and you had the responsibility to share it and you were supposed to live it. And instead, you took the talent I gave you and you buried it in the ground. You remember this story in the Bible? You buried it in the ground. And remember that story? I just, I just like, I wish you wouldn't bury it because you were scared to invest it. Paul says, you took something amazing, you took the story of Jesus, you took the law, which shows you how to be a disciple, and you made it a laughing stock to the world. I want you to turn this around, not just in my home, not just amongst my colleagues, not just amongst my church here. I want to turn it around for the whole world. But for this to happen, we have to bury some of our hatchets. We're going to have to put all of our securities, insecurities on the line. And we're going to have to become the church that God has called us to, which is what we're going to look at next week. This means, my friends, that we're going to have to call on the name of Jesus. So, look, I took that last verse, that last verse in Romans chapter 2, verse 29. And uh, I just took the essence of what it is. I looked at the Greek. I looked at what the translation was. I looked at what Paul was trying to say here. And this is what I've paraphrased this text to actually say. And this is what I believe Paul is trying to say us today. We are full of insecurities. And the Spirit wants to repair our heart so that we don't seek affirmation from the wrong sources but from God who really loves us. Does that make sense to you? If you put your heart and your hope into God, you will be a different people. You will be an amazing people. You will be what God has called you to be. The difficulty, my friends, is that we love to be in control of everything that we are. And everything that we're scared of, we're not willing to give over to God. What God is asking you to do is take the things that you're scared of, the things that you know about yourself, the things that God is constantly talking to you about yourself, and give them to God. Let Him deal with the mess. Let Him turn the heart out. Let Him transform who you are. Then you will start to become the people that He's called you to be. You'll find the law attractive. You'll find the Bible exciting. You'll find following Jesus amazing. And it'll be attractive to others as well. And Paul says, man, then, then you will get praise, not from each other, but praise from God.